Welcome to Season 2 of the Development Locker Podcast, where we progress to the how, where we aim to continue your development throughout the 2021-2022 season and start to proactively prepare you for your transition come the end of the season. Over the next 12 months, we will cover a variety of topics that you, the listener, have voted for taking ownership of your own development and transitional needs and those of other academy players and graduates. This podcast is a free platform that aims to put you, the person behind the player, at the forefront of everything we do, so that we may enhance your academy experience via our guidance, advice and support on a weekly basis. Each week, we invite guests to tell us their stories, share their experiences, so that you can take on board key messages that will positively impact your future. Our objective is to cover the basics well, provide you with the additional 1% in a variety of areas and give you an opportunity to continue your lifelong development as you transition through the academy system towards fulfilling your aspirations of becoming a professional football player and living a fulfilled life after football. These are your chosen episodes. This is your interview from The Locker. In this week's guest, we have someone who has both lived experience and the knowledge, which is some combination. An individual who is so inspirational, so easy to listen to, and gives back in spades. Stephen has the ability of all great guests, the ability to have a meaningful analogy for most subjects, ones that are relatable, easy to understand, and impactful but most of all can make the difficult and complicated seem so simple and achievable. What Stephen shares with us over the next 60 minutes, you'll not only want to take notes, but also take action. With plenty of take-home messages for you to try, fail and try another one, I know you will take something from this week's episode. So be prepared to listen, learn and experience lasting impact. This is Stephen's story. This is his interview from The Locker. Welcome Stephen. So thank you for joining us and I want to get straight into the questions because I don't want to waste any time whatsoever because I know every single second, every single minute of this week's episode, I know our listeners are going to get plenty from it. So a little bit about your background. Tell us about your experience as an athlete, particularly in Taekwondo. Tell our listeners about you know how you got into that sport and then if you could link it into this month's topic around mental health and well-being, what that looks like in that sport. Absolutely. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, the the two-minute version rather than the half-an-hour version, I've, <laughs> I've, been a, I've been a busy lad, if I'm honest. If I look back, I mean, your camera reel is a great example of where you've actually been and what you've done in life. And I think mine's at about 13,000 images at the moment, and <laughs> I've only had the phone eight years, so probably a bit too thing trigger happy i guess <laughs> so at 10 i started taekwondo got a black belt at 14 youngest in my class um, big responsibility there because as i mentioned on our kind of you know brief chat before this 
at the age of 14, I used to take the warm up for 30 adults. You know, these are people twice my size and pretty much I was the boss. Mm -hmm. The real boss was signing in names and taking membership fees and whatnot. But there there was me running the show, as it were. So I think that was a great introduction and responsibility. Um, I ended up doing that for 26 years. I got three black belts. I had uh, full time classes. I moved into more of a strength conditioning, additional fitness uh, realm, shall we say, more more of equipment. Uh, the martial arts for me was always non-equipment, apart from the, the kung fu with weapons and that. That's another story. Um, I didn't really find the need to push in the gym that much. I think Taekwondo gave me such a good base of of strength, of power, of of general fitness, you know, second only probably to gymnastics if you look at the stats across the board. And I found kettlebells at around the age of 25, give or take. Excelled at them, really loved them. They tied in immensely with what I did as a martial artist in terms of fitness and power. At the grand age of 34, <clears throat> when most of them have actually retired, I took up Olympic lifting and my Taekwondo Springs really served me there because within two years I'd qualified as a master's lifter for the world championships. Okay. Um, I've got four British master's championships as a lifter. And to this day, I believe I still hold five British and world records in all round lifting, looking at one arm deadlift, barbell, single arm snatch, thick bar stuff. Like that. But I had a grip like Superman no two ways about it you know there's not 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 to brag but i think a lot of coaches if they were to look at where i've been and what i've done there would be an, a, a certain amount of you know this this guy's been there and done it i've coached internationally i've been flown out to teach at olympic venues um i've spoken to Porsche, spoken to deloitte conferences been on probably 15 different podcasts now so I've been there and done it, not just as a coach, but also as an athlete. I pushed myself to the absolute limits. Mm -hmm. And I think it'll be important to touch on that a little bit later as we potentially yeah, look sure. at that suit of armor. I think you've got that in there as a question, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Did, did a degree in psychology, um, did a master's in strength and conditioning, which kind of really set me up for that That combination, that interaction, if you will, of mind and body. Because I think we look at each of them in isolation at our peril so for example with, with the academy guys you've you've got three areas there mainly because um my son's very much into football and the wife's from thailand so we when we go there we you know we're they're quite close in terms of the football team out there they're local one we've seen them play we know the coach um they were fantastic at foot. They were fantastic in terms of fitness, but they couldn't play the game to save their life. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, there's three areas. You've got the actual game itself. That you know, all, all that that blueprint of everything you can do as a player, your position, skill, and obviously then that is amplified or reduced by your physical fitness. How reactive are you? How fast are you? How high can you jump? Do do you have a very good, you know, 10, 10 yard, 10 meter dash? Because obviously, you know, you're not looking at, you don't need to be Usain Bolt. You don't need to be, um, I can't think of a marathon runner. So, yeah. <clears throat> You're looking at repeat sprint ability. You're looking at intervals. You're looking at being able to really floor that engine, but then get rapid recovery so that you can go again in terms of, you know, 
we won't there's no need to go too deep in the science but you've got to replenish that atp you know your adenosine triphosphate that that's your fuel that's what you run on so for me you've got the three areas you've got the sport itself and the mechanics of that as a, as a blueprint how do i excel in this then you've got the physical aspects but then you've got the mental aspects as well and if i'm honest so many of my clients in the last seven to eight years while i've almost exclusively focused on mindset realize that that was the missing link because a personal trainer by default if you wind the clock back 10 years they would deal with you in the gym and they would cover your nutrition yeah now i can tell you from experience when a person turns up and hates who they are and how they look you don't fix that with salad and hit training <laughs> you know there's some big stuff going on there that as, as a timeline of events and behaviors and consequences largely created it <clears throat> maintains it and then resists change because that's the current map that you operate from as a sentient being mm. you know i use the analogy you don't hear death metal on classic fm and when that penny drops people realize that if your focus is angry at what you've got and being desperate to get rid of it instead of growing flowers you're watering weeds and here's the big thing with focus and particularly with mental health it is so important to be confident enough to sit with self alone and in silence to build up a relationship where you trust self you respect self and you accept self particularly for you know how, how old are your players well they range from i mean our listeners you know majority will be probably in the youth development phase or professional development phase but anywhere from nine to 23 yeah okay so from kind of 16 onwards they'll, they'll they'll get this younger it'll probably just fly over their heads now but obviously plant the seed you never know where it can go <clears throat> part of my journey as a coach is really being able to emphasize that the most important relationship you have is the person in the mirror and i've taken a slight detour here because my life changed at 38 when despite all my achievements and records and championships you know i was a world-class athlete in martial arts in grip in kettlebells you know i'd been there done it got the t-shirt mm. i asked myself are you happy and instead of replying you know, i call it the uh the Djokovic, the return serve you know steve yeah. how are you i'm great you know that's almost <laughs> not bad fine can't complain I really let that go past my reactive security guard, for want of a better term. And after two minutes of sitting with that and waiting for a reply instead of forcing one, mm -hmm. the answer came back, no. And if I'm honestly, that was the, probably the first time in a lifetime I'd been so raw and vulnerable that I realized not only... It's a two-sided coin for me. You know, you can look at that as this tragedy where, oh, you know, my life's a lie, I'm fake and everything else. Or you can look at the other side of the coin and think, well, do you know what? I get to reset the calendar now and start afresh because what clicked was my mind had pushed the body to achieve everything I'd achieved as a coach and athlete. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't gone and worked on the inner game. I partially had, I knew it existed. Obviously, you know, you've got to be pretty mentally tough to do some of the crazy stuff I did or unhinged, however you look at it. And I thought, well, what happens if you put the same level of effort in to the mental side, the inner game? 
and I, I'm a neuron. I'm a light switch. I'm on or off. And I immersed myself for about 12 months in TED Talks, into mm. journals, meditation, any books, podcasts, video series on, you know, I'll give you an extensive list. I looked at neuroplasticity, meditation, placebo, nocebo, epigenetics, language, beliefs, wow. social influence, you know, even looking at philosophical aspects of, of choice and time and knowledge and learning, you know, the, the whole thing. And I thought, let me immerse myself in this, because if you imagine um, a, a painting or let's use a rug, if you imagine a rug, let's say it's a rectangle, <clears throat> we tend to live in the middle of that, which would be likened to a comfort zone, which we'll go to later on. So perfect example. Imagine a Japanese flag, if that rings a bell with people. So we kind of live in that middle bit. What I did there is I allowed myself not only to acknowledge that there was a bigger map to my existence than I was currently aware of, but I gave myself permission to wander into that, i.e. it's okay to feel guilt. It's okay to feel shame. Not every day will be a good day. You will feel like giving up. You will feel overwhelmed. And, and the thing is, I think the best way of categorizing this is there's no wrong instruments in the orchestra. You know, you'll, you'll see online where, you know, you've got to toughen up. You've got to man up. You're not supposed to show weakness. You, you, you don't have bad days. You just hustle and push, push through. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, that, that's the quickest way to probably drop dead 20 or 30 years before you would have otherwise because of the buildup of stress. So I was, I was brave enough to wander around that map and really begin a dialogue. And there was a slight paradigm shift because... It allowed me to move from victim to observer. So the victim for me is the pinball in the machine, whereas the observer is the. So I zoomed out and I, I completely understood the nature of my own suffering, that cause and effect. It's like, well, if this happens and then I do this, of course, this behavior is going to follow. <clears throat> but then what happens is unless you can kick in choice from your, your frontal lobes, your unconscious is much faster. You know, if you put a hand on a hot plate, you don't want your conscious to think, yeah, that smells pretty bad. Let me take, you know, you, the, the spinal cord will kick in a reflex. And I think that's what quite often happens. Something happens, we have an emotional response and then react. And I think the biggest part of my work is teaching people that if they can simply put the gear into neutral, they then have done two things. You take the pot off from boil so it begins to simmer. And it dying. You know, Hulk mode is delayed if, if that rings true with people. But then what you realize is you've potentially got more options than you would have had at an unconscious or subconscious level, which would have been your default response, as yeah. in fingers out the window when someone cuts in on the motorway, you know, being angry when someone does, you know, whatever it is that triggers you, you'll, you'll be aware of this at an individual level. <clears throat> and for me to step back and take a breath and pause. And, you know, they say never make a decision on an empty stomach. True. I'm a huge fan of slightly transposing that and saying never react when angry. Take a step, take a breath, walk off and come back. Because the higher parts, the more rational parts of our brain actually switch off. <clears throat> you know, you go in in the nicest way. You will go in as the caveman or person version, very dumbed down, very kind of fight, flight and reactive, mm -hmm. which probably isn't going to serve you or anyone else. You know, as they say, you, you don't put a fire out by throwing petrol on it. And for me, so much of our suffering is removed when we have that ability to walk from what is 
right in that center of the radar, potentially as an emergency that we need to deal with and respond to and realize that when you can take ownership of it and come back with choice instead of reaction, you'll find most of the time you don't actually need to do anything in the first place because the hand grenade you just picked up never had your name on it. Wow. You mentioned there about we're all guilty of it. People passing other people in the corridor, whether it's in sport, in life, family, friends, workplace, whatever it may be. Yeah. And we all do it. We all go, are you okay? And like you just said then, the initial response is, yeah, yeah, fine. Well, all sometimes, good, yeah. Clearly we're not. So, I mean, and, and I... We've had yeah. a challenge one of the coaches or it's yeah. ultimately come to contract time detain release and they've had the dreaded conversation that it's not going to be a positive outcome as it stands you're not going to get that contract whether it's another year yeah. under 14s whether it's a scholarship whether it's your first professional contract how do we as support staff change that in terms of do we still ask that question do we ask it consistently or do we because we'll, we'll talk about and one of the key themes you want to talk about is reframing do we reframe yeah. or rephrase that question to get a better response? Now, obviously, we don't want that player to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a mental breakdown. I'm going to you know, ball my eyes out there yeah, on the spot. Yeah. But how do we engage with them, open the door to that more in-depth conversation? I would say a lot of that comes from trust. And if we tie that in with one of your questions, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Ty, um, expanded the the coaching to at home as well obviously parents yes you know, if, we, if we if we widen that net to encompass the whole network of support it's really it's really being it's being able to say to your child there is nothing that you cannot come to me and talk about i love you unconditionally i am here for you and always will be here for you there's there's no no go zones yeah, you, it, it, we, we can talk about it. And if I don't know it, I'll find the person that does. Yeah. And I think when you create that level of, you know, not not a safe space in terms of triggered, you know, a safe space. I mean, probably the biggest impact I have on a client is creating a safe enough space for them to be, feel enough vulnerability and trust to go there, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. not, not pretend that they're overweight and want to lose 10 kilos because they're a bit stressed, but that they hate what they see and have realized that unless this changes, they've almost quit on life. You know, there is no point going on and they've been there and walked that road, thankfully not to the end, but at least halfway and sat there and actually said, what is the point of my existence? Mm. So for me to, to have that openness, and I said this to my son literally within the last month or so, I said to him, you know, 13 now, very keen footballer, very good. I said, there is nothing that you cannot come to me to discuss. Doesn't matter how, how far out they were ridiculous or embarrassing it feels. There's nothing that you cannot discuss if you feel that that is a, a, a bump in the road or a sticking point or that you, you need clarity in some way. Because let's be honest, you know, you let, let's slightly reframe the parental aspect people will always say oh my job's to protect my children now i get that intrinsically my job is to prepare them for the world because i think that's much yeah. more beneficial you yeah. know instead of 
put put <laughs> filling them up with bubble wrap so that they don't they go through mm -hmm. life unharmed and unhindered. I think you're setting yourself up for failure. My job as a father is is to prepare my children to to be confident in who they are, to find their thing, their music, and share that without feeling any embarrassment or judgment. Because most of the time, the struggles that we believe are coming from other people are actually a reflection of who we are as a person. Life's a mirror. Life holds up a mirror. When you are at peace with who you are, it all makes sense. And until you're at peace with who you are, you're angry at the world. You're, you're seeing problems. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, going back onto the reframing topic, and I know we, you yeah. spoke about it earlier, I know it's one of the key topics you want to discuss, so no time out the present. So, absolutely. You, you, you've trained, you've got experience within psychology, and in psychology, we, we've had a psychology theme month, and yeah, which now we're going to go into a lot more uh, detail, a lot more depth reframing things to change the perception of something yes. so whether that's turning negative into a positive so how do you talked about fear previously before we, we started the recording and obviously there's that fear of failure whether that's defeat whether that's making a misplaced pass whether it's letting the striker through and, and conceding mm -hmm. a goal whether that ultimately again goes big picture yeah this and it means you get dropped or it means you don't get that contract or the renewal of the registration at the end of the season. So yeah. how can academy players reframe that fear? Right. Well, I've, I can go one better than that because for most of the instances where the term fear would be used, it doesn't mm -hmm. need to be used and can be replaced with doubt or nervousness. Mm -hmm. So what I'm about to do, I'm not rewriting a journal. I'm not saying this is the new truth and forget everything that's preceded it. I'm going to present a reframe on a concept and I'm going to leave it on the table. And I want you guys to pick it up and look at it and potentially take it for a walk for a week or so. And if it doesn't fit in their model, bring it back to the table and leave it there. And if it does, it's my gift to you because I know that this is potentially a game changer. About four, four and a half years ago, my middle child was 18 months old. Uh -huh. And the small one was in the baggage. And we went shopping for holiday you know, beachwear. Mm -hmm. And we lost him in a shop. And I don't mean lost him, you walk around the corner and there he is, he's run off. I mean lost yeah. him after scouring the floor of that shop five times and walking outside. I'm thinking, am I going to see him on the news tonight? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the mums in that store were literally standing like statues with mouths open. They knew exactly what was going on. And I consider myself a pretty balanced guy. You know, I was a national level full-time martial artist. I'd done the mindset work. This was the first time in my existence on planet Earth that I was knocked sideways to the extent that I had to hold onto a handrail in a shop to breathe. We found him 15 minutes later. He'd gone up in the lift on his own because he liked lifts and buttons. <laughs> Now, when you start to think, I'm never going to see my child again, that hits you hard. And what I learned there is that was true fear. Obviously, it hadn't happened. But my my radar was stating, you have lost a child and will never see them again. And what I realized in that moment, and this is hopefully where the reframe will make sense, every other instance of what I'd called fear wasn't. 
for me, there's no fear of public speaking. There's no fear of talking to your boss. There's no fear of joining the gym or having a difficult conversation with your partner or, you know, complaining in a restaurant. The very fact that we call it a fear is actually what stops us taking action because fear by definition creates a no-go zone in the brain because of high level risk and potential death. Now, if we draw, I draw many parallels, if we now use Medusa from Greek mythology, you know, the, the good looking lass with the snakes in the hair. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Medusa is a personification of fear. To petrify is to turn to stone, to terrify. So what Medusa done as an archetype was you would freeze on the spot. And Lee, it's the first time in my life that I actually froze on the spot. I couldn't function. Something in me shut down to the extent that I had to hold onto a handrail to stand up and breathe. So what I realized there is the very act of saying I have a fear of public speaking or going live on video or talking to my coach about X, Y, Z is what stops you realizing that instead of locking that door and putting a big chain around it, i.e. fear, if you just keep it ajar or you're bold enough to keep a big toe in it and say, do you know what? And here's the game changer. Listen to the linguistics. I'm nervous about public speaking and would rather not do it. I have a fear of public speaking. When you, when you put out there the statement, I have a fear of public speaking, what you're actually saying is, I never want to do this thing now and across time because of the risk and the embarrassment and everything else. As soon as you say, and this is more, the more honest version, because if I said to you, and for me, the, the yardstick is, is there a monetary incentive that can get you to do the thing that you potentially have a fear of? So I can guarantee you, if any one of your guys has a fear of public speaking, you said, well, here's 10 grand, find something that you're passionate about and go up there on stage and talk about it for 10 or 15 minutes. Not enough, 50. Can't do it. Here's a million pounds. Bang, they'd, be, they'd be running to see who could get up there the fastest. Yeah. The fact that you can do it at some point. Your kid has an hour to live. Can you do the thing that you've previously said you had a fear of? Absolutely. Well, therefore, for me, that is the marker of it not being fear. Fear would be, will you jump in the shark-infested waters for X amount of money? No mm. one is going to do that. No one. And as soon as you are honest with the label, this is the big game changer. You are nervous and would rather not do it. I'm, I, I feel a sense of angst when I go to push that live button on Facebook. I know I need to have this conversation with my coach or my parents, but you know, I get the, the washing machine goes off in the stomach. I, I get the butterflies. I get the jitters. I get the cold sweat. That isn't fear. Fear is you're face to face with a tiger and could lose your life. Yeah, that, that, that for me, fear, fear is a volume dial. Fear is 10. Fear is not free. Three is I'm worried or nervous. Seven is, oh, the anxiety's kicked in. I can really feel the jitters. Ten is I don't have a choice. This situation could own or end my life. So be very aware of the consequences of the labels that you use. Mm. Once you change fear, which for most people will be at least 95% of the time, You'll know true fear. It owns your life and could end it. That reaction where all of a sudden the lorries cross lanes and is now flashing its lights at you and you have the, you know, everything slows down, Matrix 3D, you can close your eyes and literally draw that image. You are pumped with adrenaline and cortisol and the muscles are twitching and you are ready to fight or run. It's yeah. a life-threatening situation. The thing is, when you have a fear for many, many things that aren't, 
true fear that could threaten or injure life. We start to widen this net of all of the things that we can't do. And we end up not speaking to people about anything. We end up denying our own emotions. We end up being un- sabotaging trust, if I'm honestly. I think that's, that, that's the foundation of this. When you are terrified of almost everything, you sabotage trust because you don't actually believe that you can make progress in these vital areas. So don't take my word for it. Take it and use it and see if it has validity in your world. Everything that you've previously had a fear of, you know, there's a, there's there's real fears. You know, don't don't wander through the rainforest that's full of animals that could kill you. You know, we, that's <laughs> one. don't you know, don't don't stick a, a toaster in the bath. You know, there's there's real consequences for stuff like this. <clears throat> but what I would say is, you know, I've seen posts on social media where people have a fear of this and a fear of that, and they are literally posting their fears two to three times a week, and these things are not fear. They are nervousness, they are doubt, they are worry. And as soon as you give them the right hat, the monster that you created, i.e. Medusa, Godzilla, the big scary, let me leg it in the other direction as fast as possible. That monster, that personification of fear and the no-go zone actually disappears. And you realize, you know, you classic Wizard of Oz, you've got all the fire and bell and lightning going off and you've got a little old man behind the curtain pulling levers. Mm-hmm. When you reduce the label from terror i can't to i'm nervous and potentially can under the right circumstances you don't close this thing off across time you give yourself a way in just enough to take that first step let's be honest anyone can go live anyone can talk to people Mm -hmm. the worst thing is to think about it so much that you actually create a brick wall around it so that it's a no-go zone and that's what that's the nature of fear it you know the the our evolution over millions of years that there's things that you don't do which is why we are as far through as we are in terms of our our evolution and as a collective as a species what we've done to the planet good and bad we are there because of that inbuilt fear mechanism that kept us safe but the problem is people are now fearful of so many things that actually are not a fear and do not warrant that level of response does that make sense? Yeah, no, it all makes perfect sense. I think yeah. be very careful of the label because the label has consequences. Yeah, I think it's important as well, like you said, the label, and I think you touched upon it before about the language mm. you use, and I think that's important in terms of yeah, probably coaches, staff, you know, regardless of what staff it is within the academy system. And yeah. you said the coaches at home, parents, to use that different terminology, it's not fear, it's you know, it's, it's, it's doubt or nervousness. And yeah, yeah. I suppose that links into to my next question in, in terms of fear, anxiety, those two kind of imposters mm. in the room sort of thing. Yeah. And academy player, they will feel anxious, whether it's a, a big game, you know, a scout's watching them. Yeah. There's loads of different variables, loads of different scenarios. And also, we're, we're all anxious in life as well. But in, in the academy, how does an academy player, in your, in your professional opinion, deal better with anxiety whether that's off the pitch or on the pitch right do you want a real world working example that i can take home and use forever yes please that'd be great right. do you have anything in your world right now if we fast forward into the next two three six or 12 months where when you bring it to and be honest when you bring yeah. it to mind it makes you a little bit nervous potentially hitting that anxiety switch oh plenty 
Right, okay. <laughs> with your permission, sir, would you yeah. like to deal with that live on this call and learn how to dial it down? Why not? I got I've got to practice what I preach. Could be Perfect. could be dangerous, but why not? Yeah. Go on, so let's go what, what often happens is when that sympathetic nervous system kicks in and we are in fight, flight, and freeze mode. Hmm. With anxiety, basically the kitchen's on fire and we don't want to be in the kitchen. No. You know, we, we've got this we've got this whirlwind of chemistry and emotion and, and there's nothing to fight because there's no enemy. Most of the time it's our own thoughts. And there's certainly not a fear based element present, which would cause you to freeze. So the only hmm. thing left is is flight, is to run, is to get away from that which is causing stress, angst, anxiety. Now, as Blaise Pascal said, most of our problems would be resolved if we could sit alone in a room for 10 minutes. So what I'd like you to do is open a dialogue with self. And this is what I mentioned earlier about, about building that trust, about rebuilding that relationship with self. What I'd like you to do is take a deep breath. Uh -huh. Exhale and close your eyes. And in your inner studio, mm -hmm. roll out the video that... As previously mentioned, when you go there, it makes you a little bit anxious because instead of giving it that anxiety hat and creating a monster, I'd like you to reframe that and see it as a nervousness. There's, there's discomfort. You're well aware that there is something on the radar that's causing this physiological state. Mm -hmm. And just let me know when there's some physiological change. You know, your heart rate goes up. You've got a bit of tension in the stomach. The shakes kick in, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What I'd like you to do is repeat after me. Okay. Right now, I'm feeling very nervous. Right now, I'm feeling very nervous. I completely accept this. I completely accept this. My brain's looking after me. My brain's looking after me. It does a fantastic job. It does a fantastic job. And I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it. This feeling will always pass this feeling will always pass and i'm back in control and i'm back in control right now i'm feeling nervous right now i'm feeling nervous i accept this feeling completely i accept this feeling completely it always passes it always passes my brain is serving my best interests. My brain is serving my best interests. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Right now, I'm feeling a bit nervous. Right now, I'm feeling a bit nervous. It always passes. It always passes. Always has and always will. Always has. And always will. And this moment is absolutely no different. And this moment is absolutely no different. And I realize that by staying with it, I'm not creating a monster. And I realize by not staying with it, not creating a monster. There's no need to run. No need to run. I accept how I feel. I accept how I feel. It always passes. It always passes. How do you feel now compared to three to four minutes ago? 
yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but yeah, alleviated. I think that the, the word it's yeah. So let, let's say you're able to dial the volume down from seven to five or six to four, or, or even yeah, to yeah. Point. you know, ev everything's a win. We've got, we've got to look at significance, yeah, it's progress. When you, have, when you have a technique in the toolbox that you can call upon in a state of my buttons have been pressed and I'm on edge. You know, you're, you're aware of this physiological physiological shift. Yeah. When you can breathe and be with oh, what what's happening and be okay with what's happening, you no longer need to escape yourself because every emotion and feeling is valid and correct at the time it's happening. And this is what I meant about there being no wrong instruments in the orchestra. You know, we, we shouldn't feel guilt. We shouldn't be, oh, I'm nervous. That shouldn't be happening. Well, good luck getting rid of that. You know, as soon as you need to tip X out, people probably, you know, you've got backspace now, haven't you? you know, so <laughs> as, soon, as soon as you need to rub out or tip X out part of who you are, you are fighting self. You are not accepting self and you're creating a huge resistance which impacts trust. If you believe you shouldn't have several things that appear randomly, you're not at peace. When you can begin a dialogue with, so do you know what? Yeah, I've got a job interview. I'm feeling a bit wobbly. I, I guarantee you that there's not a person that would do a podcast or speak on stage with their Fitbit or Apple Watch where a few minutes beforehand, it hasn't gone up 10 or 15 beats per minute. They're not, nervous, they're not terrified. <laughs> they don't want to jump out the window. It is human nature. And guess what? When you can understand it from that perspective and be okay with it, you no longer need to run away from it because you believe it shouldn't happen. Yeah. And that's the thing with that dialogue, Lee. As soon as you no longer run away but stay with it, what you think when you run away from a thing, the thing is empowered. But the flip side of that is you are disempowered because it won. And if that's your only pathway, you only ever lose. And that's why the anxiety always wins and gets the better of you. When you feel anxious, which is actually now nerves, you see how we modified the language? I'm really nervous. Could be anx anxious, but anxious could be Godzilla and instead of that we've got a Komodo dragon you know <laughs> it's, it's a bit shifty it could do some damage but it's not going to flatten me and you know kill me instantly I'm really nervous right now and that's okay because it passes and guess what's happening while you are staying with discomfort it's dissipating over time because nothing stays around forever but more importantly you are sharpening and perfecting skills that will last lifelong for that situation and similar ones and that's yeah, how you, it's that, that's it's how that you language again isn't it it's like you said it's that reframing rephrasing the use of absolutely different you, bits of language because it is always going to be there so regardless of what the situation learn, is yeah the only thing you learn from things that you run away from is that they are bigger and scarier than you and you're not good enough to do with them that, that's it it's like the school it's like the the, the playground bully you know, yeah. When you create a monster, you're terrified and the victim. You know, it, it, yeah. it's simple. There's, that, there's no real way of me putting it any easier. That which you empower disempowers self. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it's, I think that the so simple, but yet yeah. so effective. Like you said, you know, that's just a short snippet to take yourself but, out of that, that situation is, for 10 minutes. Would have Absolutely. a greater effect, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, let, let's say you've you're up against a team that's a bit tasty, and you haven't beat them in the last three rounds, games, whatever. You know, the worst thing you want is your lads. Oh well, you know, 
I mean, I don't need to need to explain that. You get it. Mm-hmm. They're sinking mentally and emotionally before they even walk on the pitch. And if you look at any research, that will show you that's already impacted your physiological performance by 10 or 15 percent. Yeah, you're not switched on. You're not fired up. You're wandering into that arena with doubt, which means they already have the upper hand. For you to say, well, hold, whoa, guys, look, we're on this runaway train. Let's bring it back in. Let's apply the brakes. Who are we? What do we do? This, this is our job. You know, we haven't wandered in as, you know, an apprentice and we've got two weeks experience. This is our job. This is what we do. This this is what we are good at. It's our thing. It's our zone. It's our arena. Let, let's spend a few minutes walking out as a collective instead of a kind of this this enjointed kind of rabble for you know for one of a better term this you know like in the cartoon where you see the the little cloud spinning around their head once they've been done you know we all walk on the pitch nervous disjointed we're not a unit anymore we're all kind of a little bit wobbly yes they've beat you but that you know as i said with 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 the emotion that passes over time you know you, you can't lose all the time every time unless you are literally playing a you know a premier team so for you to walk on with that angst and nervousness, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're going to struggle because, you know, you, you're jumping into this game with, with a wheel missing. Yeah. Spend, yeah, no, I don't know who you've got on the coaching side, but literally to spend 10 minutes on the mental game, on the preparation, on... If you look at elite athletes in, in terms of Olympics, the differentiator at, at sprint level, obviously Usain Bolt was an outlier. There's no two ways about that. So let's remove him from the let's, – let's get this kind of statistical mm-hmm. curve. We're, 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 all of them have run a 9.9, yeah? You've got, you've got yeah. eight, nine people. They've all run a 9.9. I can guarantee you that the difference there is potentially the mental state. This is why people make false starts. They're on edge. They're trying to get the upper hand. When you can walk onto that – track at peace present realizing every opportunity to completely mess it up and not go in there by being grounded by being present by realizing that if the mind runs off all of a sudden you're no longer here and for for me there's a there's a big discrepancy between mind and body bring your head back to where your body is and you'll find you're able to make better decisions and function when the body's here which it always is but the mind's run off. You know, your mind's already thinking, well, you know, if at five minutes left, we're two behind and you haven't even walked on the pitch yet. And, yet, you know, we're, we're working out these worst case scenarios, which is probably not going to do you any favours. Ground as a collective and an individual, walk onto that pitch confident and realise that it is just another training session. Every match is a training session. You don't lose, you learn. And that's the thing. And when, when you can take that burden of always needing to be perfect and win and at your best, when you can take that burden off of their shoulders, you'll probably get much more out of them. And also they'll have much more longevity in the sport because they won't burn out and collapse and hate it three years in because they've put such a burden on themselves in terms of what they believe they should do to be recognized and be someone and achieve that you can't manage it. You know, you can't walk around carrying mountains on your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's the ter- the use of language and, and, you know, like you're saying there in terms of coaches and then being able to utilize that tool in such a simplistic yeah. way will be, will be so effective that I, I know. And that, you know, that's a, a second gimme that you've just given our listeners. So yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be maybe one or two more before we, yeah, absolutely. Kind of going on to the penultimate question, really. 
Yeah. We obviously had a recording and you use the analogy of Jones and describing an academy player needing to know where the traps are. So for those listeners who are a little bit younger and don't know who... Right, yes, so... Is, probably, might might yeah, need to I'm, Google that one, but in terms of <laughs> mental health and well-being... <laughs> In in your in your opinion, where where do the traps within academy football around that mental health? The signs that we can look for as as parents, coaches, staff, and even players and teammates are there yeah, potential yeah. traps that are out there that we can kind of foresee and minimise or eliminate them. Sure, I, I would say there. Um, I mean, uh, to, to backtrack for people that don't know it, Indiana Jones was an explorer that would largely go and get stuff and set off all these traps that could have killed him. You know, big cannibals and poison blow darts and floors disappearing and stuff like that. And I think if if you know the analogy there is, if you know where the traps are, you can prevent other people from falling in the suffering. And I think this ties in with two areas that we've already discussed, which would be looking at the language and anxiety as in, as in together, being able to reframe, but also realizing that open dialogue, open dialogue with parents, with teammates. I mean, it may be that there's a thing that you don't want to bring to the coach. You know, when there's another person on your team that you can say, you know, just you know can i can i sound this i don't know what the lingo is at the moment you know <laughs> we're not heart to heart but you know can, can i just you know can we sound can i bounce a few ideas off you if i'm honest simply having someone there for you to explore your own inner critic demons angst or whatever it is you know it is what it is for you for you to have the space and ability to go there with someone that isn't going to judge you, isn't going to call you crazy, isn't going to laugh. You know, hopefully there's that kind of level of respect and relationship. You know, if not, let's hope that we can create that culture from this very podcast. When you can walk up to someone and bounce some ideas around, the clarity that you can get from that. Now, Lee, they don't even need to answer you. They may not have the solution, but the fact that you've been honest enough to go there and explore it is part of the healing in and of itself. You will yeah. learn from that vulnerability. You will learn from dropping that suit of armor and showing up as self rather than who you think you need to be to be accepted and loved. And, you know, it seems strange a guy that was Johnny Concrete and, you know, the, the Taekwondo strength dude for many, many years talking about that. But I can tell you passionately that the biggest hindrance to our own health and acceptance is wandering around this world with a suit of armor that we think protects us, but it's actually killing us slowly. Mm. You know, it's, it's literally a prison sentence. As soon as you can drop that and be you authentically and vulnerably and realize you, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know all the answers, but when you've got the ability to walk up to another human and have a brief discussion of an issue, that's, you know, the bee in the bonnet, the discomfort, the angst, when you can go mm. there, the fact that you've got the ability to unpack the dirty laundry, you, you can have that discussion, you can feel understood, is healing in and of itself. Because if you don't deal with it, it festers and it grows. And poison does the most damage to the vessel it's contained in. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. And then that brings me on nicely to our final question, is in terms of the academy system, totally different conversation maybe for another day yeah. but it's 
interrelated to the mental health and, and, and well-being topic of this month. And we've talked about it in terms of the system being set up to fail. Now, yeah. you know, that's our opinion. That's not saying it's facts. That's not saying, you know, we're, we're, we're blasting the academy system. It is. There's a lot. I'm an advocate. There's a lot of great work that's been done out there, you know, right throughout yeah. the academy system. But what can academy players, parents of those players and the staff who support them, how can they contribute to that shifting direction of not having that system that is almost leading those players to fail? Because we all know the numbers, we all know yeah. the ratio, the percentages, whatever you know, you want whatever numbers stats are out there, we know you've got a greater chance of being released, of not pursuing a career in football, either yeah. at a professional level or even a semi-professional level. We know the odds are stats against you. Mm -hmm. So how can we, and I say we, that's players, parents, staff, turn that tide in contributing to it not being a system to fail? Is that, again, use of language? Is it a tool? Is it spotting those traps? What What is it? What can short, we do? Short and honest answer? Yep. Open a dialogue where it's no longer a thing that isn't discussed. Set a presentation together where everyone that's going through the system is well aware. I mean, a great example. Britain's got talent. Someone mm -hmm. comes out and sings, and Simon Cowell is there literally with a flamethrower. <laughs> and then the parents run out and complain, and they, he actually says, you know, your, your child can't sing. And the yeah. problem is there. They've got a Rosetta for a donkey weekend, and they've, done, they've got a medal in a talent show. But they literally are tone deaf, you know, not to judge. But if, if you can't sing and you're out there in a talent contest and the first person that actually sees through the fact that everyone's been nice to you and doesn't want to set you up for the, the hurt and the foul. Yeah. And they, you've been pushed. You know, you, you, you've you've got to, the, the first person to actually say, look, let me pull it to one side and let you let me let me tell you the real story here. You're, you're seen as the devil, the bad guy. And the thing is, you know, fair play to him. He's done that. And although it does hurt people, it's probably worse to keep living that illusion. Because unless you know the stats and the truth, how can you make any sense of the world? You know, literally, you, you, your map's completely wrong. And I think if people are aware of the stats and the journey and the expectations and the fact that not everyone makes it, you know, you don't have 10 people standing on first place. True. And that's the thing. But but what you've got to understand is long-term, and I think we've mentioned this on our preliminary call, mm -hmm. are you able to fast forward 20 to 30 years from where you are now and realise that when you've got a partner and a family and you know a bit more about the world, maybe where you are right now isn't such a big deal or as important as you think it is right now not not to detract you know, not not to give you this no. kind of blase approach where oh yeah you know steve said i don't really need to take it that seriously so i won't absolutely <laughs> give it a hundred percent and love the journey of push yourself mentally and physically to be as good as you can because that ripples into the world of other people. You know, you talk to your partner differently. You you have a positive impact on your children. You're not shy. You can have those conversations. You live by example. But realize not everyone wins the race. And that's fine. And as soon as you can see it as being a part of something bigger than you and interacting with other people and potentially inspiring other people outside of that, 
you you get to be in this flow state more than this controversial always got to be pushing and better and eyes on me and am i good enough because i can tell you from experience particularly from an athlete's perspective that that will destroy your confidence and it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's a it's a downward spiral of, of self-defeating attributes if you look if you really want to look it up look at learned helplessness by martin seligman great model i won't go into it now you know look at martin seligman learned helplessness it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy the channel that you live on is all that you hear. So my closing advice here is be comfortable enough to be uncomfortable. Build a relationship with self. Learn to trust self. Respect self. See the bigger picture of your actions, consequences, behavior, the things you say, social influence, and the people around you. And learn to operate more from choice than reaction. And you'll find that you are in a better position not just for the game itself, but socially and long term, because in the nicest way, life is bigger than 90 minutes on the pitch. Yeah, perfect. And I think on that perfect note, we will finish. I mean, I could stay on for another 60 minutes and talk to you about... I think we only got through half your questions, don't we? I know, yeah, a range of different things, but you know what? That's another challenge for me, to be selective in the questions that I actually get the most out of the time that you've given up for free that our listeners, I know, will be taking absolutely plenty from this episode. Yeah. So on behalf of our listeners, thank you very much. Um, absolutely. On behalf pleasure. of myself. You're more than welcome. It, it, I said, it's I mean, been if, great. If they, if they were to take one or two pieces, I mean, particularly fear and reframing anxiety, if, if, if the average person, person took one or two pieces and run with them and personalised them, you know, you, you got to think it's not what it does tomorrow. It's what it does in six months time. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it could be the thing that changes everything. You know, trust me when I say awareness is probably the most important aspect of humanity right now. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and that's what we're all about is that human element, the human before yeah. or the person before the player, you know, everybody. Um, it's, you know, in, in regards of, football players but they're a human being who just happens to be Completely. a football and I think yeah. we, we, we tend to forget a lot of the times I'm sure it's not just in football I'm sure it's in other sports as well but we, yeah. we seem to forget that human element I think that's massively important yeah. And, yeah you've got to remember that what they do is a part of life yes and there are other parts of life as well and unless they, you know, if you put everything in I mean let's go back to setting them up for failure if you put everything into a thing that doesn't work out and you've got nothing left beyond that that's a very fast route to depression yeah, that's a scary thought. Yeah, but yeah. it's also yeah, it's a, it's a true, it's a yeah, it's a true fact, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, that's that's the scary fact. And I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of that setting up to fail, I think that's that's you put it beautifully there. In terms of that, you know, the the, the many thousands of lads every single year who will get told no, and that's an opinion by an individual club. That's not from a of collective course. from the sport. Like you said, if they're putting everything into that and then get told mm. no, then yeah, that is a a recipe for depression. Yeah, be, uh... I also think just just to add in because I think it's very important point. This it's it's important to realise that that isn't a value statement of you as an individual. You know, if no. if you don't win the singing contest, you're not a bad human that's useless. You're just not that good at singing compared to other people. Yeah. Now, if you don't make academy top level Premiership, that isn't a value judgment or reflection of you as an as a sentient being you know you're not worthless as a human 
you're just not as good as other people are at football. And to see that in context stops you sinking yourself. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's been, you know, it's been really informative for me over these last 40, 50 minutes. So yeah, I know it will be equally as informative and yeah, take home messages galore. So yeah, thanks Steve for, for your time. And uh, you are more than yeah, welcome. It'd be good to catch up with you again, maybe in season three, but yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So, how was that for you? Seriously, we'd love to know. And you can do just that by getting in touch with us via our various social media platforms and via our email address, which you can find on our website. I could have chatted with Stephen for the whole evening, but we were limited to just 60 minutes. But what a 60 minutes it was. However, if you want more, Stephen is more than willing to connect with you over social media or via his email address, both which you'll find on our website too. Whether you want to discuss mental health or well-being, learn more about bursting the fear bubble or able to identify more of those traps, Stephen is your man. Reframing was the take-home message for me, as is the use of language, a powerful tool in creating a safe space to have those open and honest conversations around what can often be viewed as a stigma. And speaking of which, we delve more into the stigma of this month's topics when we speak to our next guest on the podcast. So be sure to join us for that conversation and another interview from The Locker. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview from The Locker. Be sure to follow this podcast to access the latest episodes and make sure you share these interviews with your friends, family, teammates and anyone you feel will benefit from the episodes. Look out for behind the scenes footage on our Instagram page, for more information on our Facebook page and be sure to give us a follow on Twitter too. Don't forget to access our website for up-to-date resources as well as contact details for all our guests who appear on the podcast from week to week. All these details can be found in the About section on the podcast platform you have accessed this episode from. We look forward to you joining us next week in listening to more interviews from The Locker. <laughs>